Stay golden. Hurricane. Welcome back to the Golden Hurricast. We are a weekly podcast covering Golden Hurricane Athletics at the University of Tulsa. I'm Ryan Token. I'm at Rectine. Uh, we are back with the second straight week, or for the second straight week maybe, with another interview. Last week, uh, as you probably remember, or if you didn't listen, we had Rick Dixon. Uh, this week, to kind of... Stop looking in the past, uh, move away from primarily talking about like conference realignment and instead kind of focus on Tulsa's football season. We brought Caden McFarland in uh, from Channel 2 here in Tulsa uh, and had a great interview. Um, obviously, like I'll just say this. We're recording this after the interview, so I'll give a sneak preview. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, posted some stuff yesterday, just kind of like fun, heavy hitters. Like He's a great guy to talk to, so knowledgeable. Uh, and it was a blast. I don't know, Ryan, do you have anything? To, I guess I, I don't want to spoil the whole interview, but yeah, no, nothing, nothing too much to add before we jump into it. I'm just always, I, I love talking to Caden, always so impressed every time we get him on the show. And it's especially impressive right now because football season hasn't started. We're just picking up the foot. We're picking up the Hurricast again. I'm knocking off some rust of like, who the players on the team are, you know, and like that guy's got it all nailed. He was throwing out names there that I kind of forgot were on the roster at some point. Uh, so like he, he's just a great guy to talk to about this stuff. He knows a ton about TU and Tulsa football. He's been around it for a long time. So the perfect guest to do the season preview with us this week. Um, so yeah, let's, let's jump over there and uh, we'll catch you at the end. All right, we are back. Episode two of season six. We are welcoming in friend of the podcast at this point, Caden McFarland. Caden is the sports director for Two News Oklahoma in Tulsa. Has been on the show two times before. First time was a couple years back uh, to wrap up the 2021 football season. Feels like forever ago now. And then again, last year, we had him on actually in a joint episode where we had you, Caden, and John Tranchina from the Tulsa World on. Uh, to talk about all things related to uh, Philip Montgomery's firing and the candidates who might replace him and, and all that stuff. So always a blast to chat. Really excited to have you back on the show, Caden. How have you been? I've been uh, I've been really good, and it is good to be back. At some point, I'm going to get, is it the seven-time members club on SNL where, you know, Steve Martin and everybody comes out and they give him like a smoking jacket? I'm yeah. hoping, I'm, I'm almost halfway there. I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, very nice. We've got uh, Rick Dixon, I think, is actually number one at this point, which is wild to uh, He should to, be. He to needs me. to stay ahead of me. Yeah. <laughs> you're probably you're probably number three, honestly, at this point, being on three times. It's like, it's weird. It's it's Rick Dixon. It's uh, one of our friends, just a friend of ours, like an actual friend from TU, uh, JJ Cody, who comes on once a year uh, to talk JJ's no sports zone always during our bye week where we talk about everything except football. So she's actually been number two. And then it's probably you uh, sitting there. I like, I like the bronze medal. You know what I mean? You don't have the heartbreak. <laughs> if I could have had gold, but you walk away with something. So I feel good about that. Yeah. We'll get you in a number two there. Pretty so I, I'm confident, but okay. Excited to talk to you. Excited to talk some actual football um, for the first time in a while, instead of 
uh, conference realignment drama that has been the constant uh, plague on the sport for forever, like the past many years now at this point, especially the past like couple weeks um, with the Pac-12 dissolution. Um, and sadly, I think it's just getting started for TU, but let's not let's not go there. Let's <laughs> yeah. just, let's let's move on into the season preview. I don't I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> Sounds good. I don't either. We we talked about that with a lot with Rick last week. And man, there's a lot of fallout that could happen there. And uh, only one of them is really a good situation for Tulsa. Yep. So hoping for that one, hoping if we can shoot the moon here. But um, there's a lot of situations where that doesn't work out. Um, but okay, into football stuff. Uh, we got a hard cut off here, so we'll we'll start getting into it. You are one of the what seems like few media members this year, uh, especially with the you know the results of the Tulsa World's layoffs last. Uh, I don't remember when that happened. Maybe it was early 2023, but um, that has been to like Tulsa fall camp and been paying attention to TU football. Um, a couple questions related to that. One, uh, just to get us start- started here. Is the media presence actually lower than it has been in previous years because of the Tulsa World layoffs? And also maybe because of like Kevin Wilson seems to be a bit media averse. At least that was the first impression he kind of gave off. I don't know if that's true at all. And two, after that kind of opener, um, what have been your main takeaways from seeing some fall camp practices and, and results of that? A little bit less, maybe, but I think it's been trending that way for a while. I mean, losing Kelly Hines from the beat, uh, Hurts me. I, I just loved talking uh, Golden Hurricane, all things Golden Hurricane with her. She was so plugged in. And so, uh, you know, I'm sure the Tulsa World's going to do a fine job this season, but it's not quite the same when you remove her. Uh, the TV guys are there when they allow us to be there. There's a little bit less access uh, in that Philip Montgomery let us watch scrimmages and it was sort of understood, you know, we're not going to put these things on film. And he he would pretty much let us watch any time we wanted to watch. Uh, that's not necessarily the case right now. There, we haven't viewed any scrimmage action. Uh, that's fine because we're used to that anyway. That's how OU and OSU operate and have operated for a long time. So that's, mm-hmm. that's not changing uh, our lives very much at all. We've been out there, I think, at least three times, maybe four times. Uh, the one difference with Kevin Wilson... He makes you turn down the volume uh, on on the video. So day one, I kind of got everybody in trouble by not turning down the volume. I had just forgotten that that was something he had mentioned in the spring uh, and putting that stuff out on Twitter right away. And I think, you know, he saw some of my stuff and was a little bit upset. Uh, okay. I'll say this about Kevin Wilson. I think he takes a little bit of getting used to because the personality is a little bit quirky. Uh, he's sarcastic. He's playful. Sometimes it can come across as like a little bit gruff. I, in my opinion, if if you do your job the best you can, if you do your homework, if you know what you're talking about, and if you have a little bit of a sense of humor about you and just let some things roll off your back, I think you'll get along with him famously. A good friend of mine who was a great writer with the Tulsa World for years and years, Dave Sittler, uh, still communicates with Kevin to this day. And I, you know, I think they have a good relationship. So I, I don't see Kevin as like anti-media by any means. I just find him... Uh, kind of a unique personality and frankly, one that I like. And I guess that that goes right into kind of the biggest camp takeaway for me so far. I just really like watching these guys coach, you know, starting with Kevin. Um, I I liked I liked watching him coach the chances I got to do it in Norman over a decade ago when when he was the offensive coordinator for the Sooners. Um, like I said, he's got that great sense of humor. He's really sarcastic. I remember him yelling more 
back then uh, <laughs> yeah. than what he showed us so far. I do think being a head coach, and I think that players just being a little bit different more than a decade later, I, I see him being the good cop more often on the practice field. Maybe that's part of being a head coach as well. Let your coordinators get after him, and right. and you can be the the good cop. Uh, I I think he is a I think he's a brilliant coach. Um, you know, if you were to go back over the last two decades, two decades plus of college football, I bet no offensive coach in the country has been on the sideline and had a hand in more yards being gained and more points being scored. If you think about it that way, you know what he did at Northwestern, then Oklahoma, and as a head coach at Indiana, and then at Ohio State, the offensive play has been spectacular. Uh, he's he's a brilliant football mind. I, th- I think he's a really good coach. I like how he's a little bit old school uh, and demanding. Um, the discipline was talked about for years and years with Coach Monty. You know that I loved Coach Monty, but nobody could possibly accuse Golden Hurricane football over the last eight years um, of being a, a, a buttoned-up, disciplined unit. I mean, they were near the bottom of the country in penalties every year for a reason. I'm not saying that that gets fixed like this, uh, but I think they're on the way. Um, and and then I really like some of the young coaches and watching them interact with players as well. I think there are some future stars um, I, on that coaching staff. I think Switzer, McFarland, Hunter, the guys who are really young and already getting after it on the recruiting trail, I see a really bright future for all of those guys. And then somebody like Steve Spurrier Jr., who's been around and, you know, especially in a press conference setting, can really spin a yarn. I, I think it's a really nice staff. I think it's been fun to watch, uh, you know, just a new approach come in. And um, I, I, I think that this team will be really well coached. You know, we'll see how it all ends up. With TU, even their best teams are going to play a ton of games that are toss-ups. That's just the world they live in. Um, so this season could go a whole bunch of different directions. But I, I do think that the team is being coached well, for sure. Yeah, it's good to hear um, the vote of confidence every now and then on this coaching hire. Just a, a brief aside, because, man, it feels like everybody loves to dunk on this hire. Not not Tulsa fans specifically, but uh, like other other fan bases within the American really seem to think, I don't know if this is accurate or not. And I think a lot of this info came from, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Split Zone Duo podcast. Um, they do a big one, uh, a couple big name guys on there. And they seem to think that Tulsa totally fumbled this coaching hire that GJ Kinney was there for the taking. Uh, Brennan Marion was the, another option that we just swung and missed on. And that is not the impression I got at all after, after hearing some things about how this coaching search went. Um, so I don't know. I like, I, I like the hire. Matt likes the hire. I think we're all excited for Kevin Wilson, but it's hard to convince anyone outside of the Tulsa fan base that this is a good hire, which is weird because you look at his resume and it's like, it's pretty solid. So I'm surprised that, uh, that we get that feedback every now and then. It's more than solid. I love GJ Kinney. I love Brennan Marion. Uh, and still have occasion to to you know make contact with both of them, Brennan more than GJ, but you know both are active on social media. Uh, I I would love to think that both of those guys uh, you know potentially uh, could end up here sometime in the future. I I will say this: I don't think any way, shape, or form. I don't think that the current athletic director, president, decision makers at the University of Tulsa. Uh, valued what GJ or Brennan brought to the table more than what Kevin Wilson brought to the table at this moment in time. I just, I, I could be wrong. I wasn't in the room, obviously. I don't know that for an absolute fact, but just what I do know, uh, I think that this is the guy, when they found out that he had interest, I think they were 
at attention as much as you possibly could be. And this is this is a guy they wanted to get uh, to the University of Tulsa. And so, look, we'll see. Right. Um, we'll see. <laughs> like nothing's guaranteed. These jobs are really hard. Uh, he doesn't walk into a situation where, you know, going out and winning 10 games um, seems very easy or likely. Uh, but I, I I think Kevin Wilson can coach ball. And that goes that goes back a long time. I, I thought that of him at OU. I thought that he was underrated then. Uh, Swamp Kings, as we're talking right now, just came out on Netflix. And I was watching some of that. And I mean, Kevin Wilson took one of the best teams, maybe still the best team that I've seen in person since I've been here, going back to 07, that 2008 Sooners team, that offense that he had with Sam Bradford that averaged more than 50 points per game. That That's probably as fine a team, as fine an offense as I've covered. And that includes everything Lincoln Riley did. Right. Um, Kevin Wilson, to me, is a little bit, quite a bit underrated. Uh, and I think TU made a heck of a hire. Does that mean that other guys couldn't have come in and been great? Does that mean that uh, getting GJ or Brennan and what they might have brought uh, in terms of energy on the recruiting trail and maybe staying here for a few more years. Because let's be honest, if Kevin lights the world on fire, given his background, it's going to be hard to keep him uh, from a really nice power five job, especially at his age. I think, you know, uh, but they, I, I think it's a heck of a hire, all things considered. Um, I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. But I, I think Kevin Wilson was a good hire for TU. Yeah, same. I mean, we got the same impression, you know, definitely on the same page as you. And you mentioned the the cast of characters he's got behind him on the assistant, the, the assistant coaching ranks. And man, those are some those are some awesome names you look at. You got some young guys in there. You got some really experienced older guys in there. I think it, I'm, I know it's preseason bias. I'm I'm very excited for the year, but like there's some potential there, I think. So I'm, I'm pumped for it. Did you speaking of one more thing on, on kind of the coaching staff side? Um, there's the uh, throughout like the summer they've touched on it every now and then, especially on the eye of the hurricane podcast. And I think Tulsa world has covered it every now and then too. Um, Kevin has got this like eight, it's like eight to 12 guys on the team. He's named like squadron leaders, basically like a, some military term that I'm probably getting wrong. And he's got those guys and they all have several guys reporting to them. So the, the, the eight to 12 leaders report to Kevin Wilson. Each leader has X number of guys reporting to them. And Kevin, it seems to me, pretty much only gives direct, like direct communication off the field to these like squadron leaders. And then it's their job to coordinate with their guys and make sure they're in the right place at the right time. I thought that was a super interesting idea. I have no idea how it's working in practice. The players in, in interviews with like Bruce Howard have made it seem like they really like it. But I don't know. What do you what do you think about that whole setup and situation? And do you think that'll pan out in any way? Yeah, I, I don't think it's novel because I asked him, is this something you were doing at Ohio State? And he said, actually, it goes back to my time at Indiana. So he's, you know, in his other opportunity to be a head coach, he structured things in exactly the same way. Uh, I've heard of it being done other places that sort of uh, famously, for those who know me, at least uh, Notre Dame football. I, I live and die with those guys. And uh, they, I remember Brian Kelly doing something similar. So my guess is, uh, if it, you know, they use the word platoon. Right. Decent chance it actually comes from the military. I, I bet that there was a blueprint there uh, that that college football coaches have tapped into it. Uh, it makes all the sense in the world to me. And my great hope here, and by the way, you ask, you know, am I aware of it? I mean, Kevin Wilson literally will not stop talking about it I mean, <laughs> yeah. at every opportunity. Uh, my hope is that this helps, you know, he they want a player-led team. They talk about that a lot. And the hope is that, you know, maybe that's part of what allows this group to be a little more disciplined than what we've seen in recent years. You know, one thing to be um, excited about 
And I never would have thought, you know, I never would have taken this sort of thing seriously or put much stock in it before. Um, but academically, there were some issues um, under Coach Montgomery. And I, I guess yeah. I heard whispers. I was sort of aware of that through the years. But I didn't realize that it, I, I, it had become a real problem. Yeah. And uh, Kevin Wilson inherited that thing and from day one mentioned it. I don't know if it was his opening press conference, but it could have been. It was one of our very first interactions with him. He basically said, well, I guess it's my job to clean that up. Uh, and I think we <laughs> caught him in a moment where he was just coming to grips with everything that comes with this TU job. It ain't Ohio State, where who yeah. knows how many dozens of people they have on staff to handle everything. TU's not staffed in the same way. And but Kevin, I, it's important to him that these kids go to class and make good grades. And they posted something on Twitter uh, recently where you saw the GPA going up. The I guess spring, summer, and so it must have been what he inherited with the rest of winter, spring, and summer. It was three straight GPAs that were on the rise, uh, maybe up to like two point nine most recently. And uh, to me, that's a really good sign. Like it just in terms of everything we've already talked about with regard to the discipline. Yep. Um, I think that that can only help a football team. When I was a kid, not knowing more than I did growing up, you kind of associated, um, you know, the best football players with being the least interested in academics, the biggest job. You know what I mean? You, smart totally. kids, not good at football maybe not as smart kids, really good at football. And the truth, that's that's not the case, right? Yeah. I mean, if you look at sort of, I don't know about top GPAs, but certainly some of those APR rankings and stuff, and Kevin's brought this up, yeah. Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, they're all really high up there. And what that speaks to more than anything is how many people they have on staff that can assist those kids and mm-hmm. make sure they have every resource they need in you know accomplishing what you need to in the classroom. TU doesn't necessarily have that, but already he's making some inroads. And to me, that's a really good sign. Um, I, I think that's a good a good sign that this thing is heading in a direction that's just a little bit, you know, tighter ship. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think it, like the point you made, I think it comes down to the discipline thing above everything else. Um, and uh, like, same as you, don't know the details or specifics around how that slipped or why or what the, situ- the what the situation was that led to this under Philip Montgomery, but it certainly did. I mean, you could see it all over the football field even. Um, so the fact that that's getting cleaned up in, in any way is a good sign. The fact that we have a special teams coordinator now, good sign. Like there's a bunch of stuff that is moving in the right direction that Matt and I have talked about for years under Philip Montgomery. So um, yeah, very, very excited for, uh, for what he's going to bring to the table. Okay. Yeah, sort of, yeah. I'll, just quickly, sort of a Baylor way of doing things. You know what I mean? That That's what was brought here back in yeah. 2014 for better and worse, right? right. I mean, it, it wasn't totally. all bad with Phil Montgomery. And I continue to maintain that was not an unsuccessful eight-year run. Um, yeah. But it had run its course. And this is one area where the program needed to be cleaned up. There are others, because I do feel now compelled to do this, because I feel like a you know, sort of dragged Omani through the mud a little bit. Uh, Kevin admitted that when when he showed up, he was impressed with the athletes on hand. I, and that's something we've talked about for a long time. Montgomery did a great job finding yeah. dudes who, for whatever reason, were overlooked in the state of Texas. and But they had the size and length that you want, not just at TU, but at some Power 5 programs as well. Their defensive backfield Totally. was bigger and better than OU's multiple years in a row. And so, um, it, look, it, it's always a bit of a mixed bag, and I'm sure it will be with Kevin as well. But, yes, I think that they needed to become a little more disciplined with regard to the classroom, and uh, it looks like that's 
that's probably in the process of happening. Totally agree. All right, let's move on to some personnel talk here. I don't know how we want to handle this. I don't want to list off who we think is going to start at every position. That sounds boring. Uh, so maybe we can start off with just like from from what you've seen at camp. Have what are there guys that has surprised you so far that have jumped off the field that you think maybe weren't on your radar as much as potential starters, but are now? You know, guys that maybe didn't start last year that fans don't know as much about. Um, that we can talk through. I've got a couple in my own head and I can get us started if if you need a, a second to think through some, but um, who has anybody jumped off the page at you yet? Well, it's certainly some of the newcomers, um, you know, because in the spring, for whatever reason, I didn't get a chance to see them as much, but uh, you know, the kid who came from division two, Colton Smith, yeah. who, you know, two years ago, racked up like 161 tackles. Right. Um, he just, he looks like you want him to look, you know, and my guess would have been if you told me, Hey, T, you brought in a guy from division two who made 160 tackles. I would have thought, Oh, I bet that guy's short and smart and he's not going to look physically all that impressive. That's not this dude. I mean, yeah. he is like chiseled. And um, that's that's probably one thing that I would say has jumped out at me more generally. And I will get into some of the specific guys. Uh, but there, I mean, there are a lot of grad transfers. The COVID, And here's the thing that makes it difficult for me to judge TU versus everybody else. Everybody in the country is benefiting from the COVID year. Yeah. Guys who are in their fifth or sixth year. Guys Holden who Smith is in his seventh year. Yeah, exactly. Guys who have transferred from, say, the Power 5 level, like a Julian Simon, to a place like TU. Uh, I'm not going to say that this is the most physically impressive-looking TU team I've, I've ever seen. I, it's not, right? Yeah. They had, just a few years ago, Zayvon Collins, uh, Justin Wright. I looks like a 40-year-old man at Oklahoma State. Anthony Goodlow. Yeah. Uh, you could go on and on. But this, it's up there right? It, it's up there. And most of these guys that they brought in, I've mentioned two of them now at the linebacker position uh, in in Simon and Smith, like they look like you want them to look. Uh, and there are some other guys who look like you want them to look as well. It's sort of, a, it, you know, Ben Kapinski was a guy who, when he got a shot at Oklahoma State, was pretty good. Uh, you know what I mean? The, the production was pretty good. He's not somebody who's going to jump off the page necessarily athletically as much as some others. Mm-hmm. But I got a chance to see some scrimmage reps at a practice, a, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and he's a productive guy. Um, somebody you can certainly see, you know, Owen Ostrowski is more physically impressive. Uh, and, you know, when they're both out there and they're attacking and you're bringing the blitz, uh, it looks pretty good. You know what I mean? They're a, they're able to get after the quarterback and line them up pretty good. Vontroy Malone is another guy who's young and just I like the length and I like how explosive he is. And then the the Mississippi State transfer who hasn't popped yet, King and I, um, he looks good, right? I mean, I we'll see. I'm I'm not sure why he wasn't able to see the field a little bit more last year, make more of an impact. Uh, but that's a guy who who looks good. And it, in the back end, I I guess the defensive backfield is probably the thing where I don't know exactly who's going to play. I don't know exactly how it's going to shake out, especially mm-hmm. at corner. There are quite a few guys. It seems like maybe as many as six guys fighting for two or three spots. Yep. Uh, but I'm convinced that they're going to be good back there. And all so right. not all of those guys are incredibly physically impressive. Like Kiwan Parker's not the longest corner, but he knows how to play the position. But then there are some guys, you know, who are physically, you know, pretty good looking. Um, Xavier Lanier, who came from UAB, you know, they're – and I, we've got several local guys, Nunu Campbell, Devin Robinson. Those are young guys who may jump in. And then Kiwan Parker, who, you know, I think at least as of, you know, when I 
last time I checked a week and a half ago or so, I think people think there's a good chance he'll start at corner. Um, so I, I think they're going to be good back there. There are several spots where they look physically impressive. Uh, I wish that I could say uh, wide receiver was one of them. I mean, there's some length, right. there's some athleticism for sure. But, you know, after the very first practice, we talked to Kevin Wilson, like he said, the receivers aren't good enough. And the yeah. last time we spoke to him on Friday, he said again, you know, the receivers aren't aren't playing good enough. And uh, there are guys who flash. You know, we've seen it with Malachi Jones. I, I think nearly 500 yards receiving for him last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, decent length and seems like he could be a, a pretty good possession guy. I love the way Nick Rimpert looks running around out there. But he's not a name that we've heard come out of Kevin Wilson's mouth a whole lot. And, and so I, I wonder exactly – What's going on there? Carl Chester is a guy who's tall and made a couple of plays, I think, in the most recent video that that TU put out. He looks good when he's making plays, but I, I can't say that Kevin's given us his name a whole lot either. Uh, the thing here's here's something that concerns me a little bit about this offense, and I am more bullish on on this offense with Kevin Wilson than than I am not. But uh, I don't know that I see just a ton of big time playmakers like guys who can take a short pass. Yep. and take it the distance and and change a game like that. One of them most certainly is Braylon Presley. Right. And I think they're going to have to, and they know this, get the ball into his hands in a variety of ways. You've got to put the ball in his hands because he is a playmaker. And one of the other ones is Anthony Watkins. And for whatever reason, it appears that he's sort of buried on the depth chart at the moment. I don't know. If <laughs> I was going to ask you about him. So yeah. bizarre. Yeah. I, we, I was surprised to hear that on Friday. Um, you know, I was so excited to see him, out there uh, on day one of practice, because I don't know if you guys know this or not, but he was out there and dressed out with the guys all last year, yeah. but never had a helmet on. Saw him back there. Rarely, yeah. rarely went through much of anything. And so we knew, oh, that must be academic. He must be ineligible. I wonder if he'll get eligible. You know, Daenerys Prince eventually did last year. Watkins obviously never did. Yep. I love that he's still with the team. And I'm telling you on day one, I would have thought he was number one with the running backs, not necessarily because of the way they were going through drills, but the way he was instructing younger guys. He was pulling guys oh, aside, right. uh, you know, and obviously teaching them, here's how you do this. And I just thought, man, that's a great sign. And then the next practice I went to, uh, you know, we just got to see a, a handful of plays at the end as we came back in, getting ready to talk to Kevin. And he broke off a 50-yarder and the guys were going nuts. And, you know, I the safety had an angle and he outran it. And I just thought, and there you go. Like I yeah. mean, like Daneric Prince is about to make the Kansas City Chiefs the Super Bowl champs. <laughs> yeah. Two years ago, they had comparable carries. Prince, I know, point two yards per carry. Watkins, seven point four. Yeah. He's a big time playmaker. I mean, when I'm looking at the playmakers on this roster, Braylon Presley and Anthony Watkins are the first guys I think of. For him to be buried on the depth chart, I don't know if that's Kevin trying to motivate him. I don't know if there's just extreme rust. I don't know what that means exactly. I do like the other backs. I like Jordan Ford and, and uh, Bill Jackson. I, I, they look, but I don't see quite the same game breaking ability uh, that I do with Watkins. So, man, my hope is that that gets sorted out. I, I do have all the confidence in the world uh, that Kevin Wilson and Steve Spurrier Jr. and Braylon Braxton make for a winning combination on offense. Let's, let's put it that way. Wide yeah. receiver seems to be a concern. I don't know exactly what's going on with Anthony Watkins, but they're are a ton of veterans and good size on the offensive line. There's a coach in Kevin Wilson whose track record is unbelievable. There's a coach, there's a coach in Steve Spurrier Jr. who's also got a really fine track record. And there's a quarterback that I think any given day in the American 
can be the best guy on the field. And so I, I think they're going to play good offensive football, but uh, that doesn't mean that there, there aren't some concerns as we exit camp. Yeah. A lot to touch on there. It is, it is bizarre, the Watkins stuff, and we'll get to the receivers. Um, you mentioned the experience level and it's, it's interesting because of the probable, the quote unquote probable starters, in my opinion, they're pretty old. Like there's not that much inexperience except for yeah. like you got Braylon Braxton. He's a sophomore. Right. But we, we know a good amount about him. We saw him start several games last year. He looks electric at times, like got a lot of confidence. He'll be pretty good. Um, the other young guys are like Bill Jackson, who was apparently going to be starting running back, uh, you know, after, after Jordan Ford, uh, Braylon Presley's a young dude. I think he's a true sophomore if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, so he's, but like everybody is saying, and we knew from his time at a, coming from Oklahoma state that he's, he's got a boatload of potential in him. Uh, and then some of the defensive guys like K1 Parker, Julian Simon, Owen Ostrowski are younger guys. Outside of them, it's pretty old. It's like all redshirt juniors and older. Um, yeah. But like, man, I guess we can talk. Let's talk some receivers a bit. That is the biggest one of the problem was receiver and corner, I think, are probably the two biggest question marks uh, on the team right now. I would have said linebacker was the biggest question mark earlier in the year. But man, they keep talking. The, they keep talking up the linebacking room right now uh, with Colton, like mentioned Colton Smith. And, sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Colton Smith really making a name for himself. I think Julian Simon's going to have a lot of potential there. Um, there's a lot of guys. So. Uh, let's t- let's talk receivers for a second. Uh, it's it's weird. So they they mentioned recently that Malachi Jones has been dealing with an ankle injury. I don't know right. if they're trying just not to throw him under the bus because he's been like the high profile guy coming into the year, and maybe he's been underperforming. Maybe not. Maybe he's just been hurt, and they just can't talk about him. But outside of him, like we're expecting him and Braylon Presley to be the top dogs in the running back room uh, or the receiver room. Um, and there's a side question here on how involved is Presley in the running game as well. Uh, but I think, I think my guess is he'll be more involved in the receiver room. But anyway, my question here is we've got Jones and Presley. Um, there's a several other guys that are kind of vying for that three spot, right? Who's going to be the third wide receiver. You mentioned a bunch of them. One of the guys who, of course I freaking wrote about on a blog post uh, that <laughs> gets no attention at all right now. And who I thought maybe would be able to step in there as a retro freshman in Keith Wheeler. And he was our top recruit last, last in 2022, right? So he sat out of his fresh, his, his retro year. He's back this year. We've got a bunch of openings in the receiver spot. I thought he might be able to step in there. And I i swear to you, I've been reading and listening and trying to hear anyone say his name at all. And it just seems like he's not there. So uh, maybe he's not. But who do you think, I guess, of those of the remaining guys has the best chance to be that number three receiver? Yeah, well, I put Braylon into the category of playmaker more general. I wouldn't necessarily call him the number two receiver because he's yeah. still adjusting to the position. And so he just he strikes me as more of just get the ball in his hands one way or another. But I, I think of Nick Rimpert as their number two receiver, you know, when I watch those guys get out yeah. there. And Malachi and, and Nick, it, it looks pretty good. Um, I don't know why we haven't heard Nick's name more in, in preseason camp. I feel like when the lights go on, he's got as good a shot as anybody uh, to finally step to the fore and, and be a guy that that Braylon can count on. Um, you know, there are a couple other guys who Marquis Shoulders is a guy who I think yeah. I've mentioned multiple times now because it's the only bit of video uh, the school's put out. But the video that was put out, I think, last week, I think Shoulders had had a couple of nice moments and just watching him run routes, which is all we've really you know been able to see for the most part. Um, you know, he, he looks like a guy who's got some promise. Like I said, Carl Chester is long and he, he's similar in the same way. Kevin Wilson actually men- mentioned Grayson Tempest 
Yeah. I the heard true that. freshman from Union was the quarterback at Union uh, for a year or two. And then a kid moved in from Jinx, who was like, you know, potentially a four star kind of guy at quarterback. Grayson took that move from quarterback to receiver like a champ. Uh, and was fantastic last season for Union and drew the late scholarship offer from Kevin Wilson. So I thought it was really cool that Kevin would mention his name after practice Friday, but he also said it not like, hey, we absolutely know that, uh, you know, we've we've got a guy that we can throw the ball to consistently here, but he's a guy who's done some good things for a freshman. It, look, it, it, there's some decent size and length. Somebody's going to pop. It's impossible for me to say who it's going to be. Um, I would love to think that Kevin is just kind of trying to light a fire under these guys more than anything yeah. else, and I would not put him put it past him. Uh, but if you're going to take what he says at face value, without question, that's p- the position you're most concerned about. And, and so my guess is offensive game plans are going to be built, uh, I don't want to say heavy quarterback run game, but to me, it's got to be a, a pretty big part of it. I, I think that Braylon throws a really good deep ball. And so I, I think we're going to see a fair amount of that. But like, I think they're going to look to run the ball in a variety of ways. I, I think they're going to try and be a really creative running team because even if our guy, Anthony Watkins, isn't quite ready for whatever reason, I think those backs are nice. I think handing it to Braylon in different ways is a nice option. I, I think Braylon Braxton. I, I meant to say Braylon Presley there. Braylon Braxton is also an option running the ball. It's going to be tough ball. all year, man. I'm going to be making it. It's going to be tough. Up. Uh, and I, and I, somebody's going to have to emerge a receiver. Hopefully Malachi's healthy because he is a guy that, like, I think he's going to be fine when the lights come on. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I kind of think Nick Rimpert's going to be fine as well. It's beyond that. What if you had an injury to one of those two guys? I think it gets hairy pretty quick. And so it, certainly that is. The position without knowing more than I do right now that, you know, causes you maybe the most concern. Yeah. And the scary thing is uh, Malachi Jones almost transferred out. He put his name in the portal at the end of the year last year, and he was in there for a good long while, man. It was getting scary. Um, so fortunately, he's back. We've got we've got at least him to start off the year. Uh, but you're right. I think receiver is shaky. Hopefully something pops there, like you're saying, but we'll see. Um, on, one more thing on the Braylon Presley note. You mentioned him being, you know, you put him in the category of just kind of a playmaker, right? Are are you, and not necessarily the number two receiver. When you say that, are you saying like you think it'll take him a little bit of ramp up time before he is that guy that we go to all the time, or is it more like his position itself will be more flexible and it will kind of be throwing him all over the place on the field? Yeah, I, that the second one. I think I think his position is going to be now. Look, he's at, he's put on some great weight. Like he is quite a bit bigger than he was when we saw him in high school and and bigger even than he was uh when we saw him last year in Stillwater. So, I don't think you can put the ball in his hands 18 times a game or what you know, I, uh, that would be a ridiculous number for a flanker, but nobody uses the term flanker anymore, right? <laughs> but that's that's what I think of, right? I I think of the way Notre Dame used Rocket Ishmael way before you were born. Um <laughs> You know, just as a punt returner, as a guy that you give it to on those jet sweeps, occasionally out of the backfield, not very often with the certain look when it's spread enough, a guy that you're dumping it to, you know, on slants uh, out of the slot, like just moving him all over the place, making sure that the defense has to, you know, he's a headache for them uh, and and get it in his hands as much as you can uh, without disrupting things. I'll, I'll say this. I was there the very first day. He was an OSU Cowboy in fall camp one year ago. 
and he really struggled to catch the football. And I, you know, I, I was just concerned. He's, he's so small. The catch radius is not great. I just wasn't sure, you know, what that was going to look like. And then, you know, they threw it to him a couple times on swing passes. OSU did last year and he looked pretty natural. And so I checked that in my mind, you know, he's made some improvement here, but watching him catch the ball in camp on, especially throws further downfield and going up to get it, you know, um, he's caught on really quick. Uh, His brothers had a great career at Oklahoma state. Braylon's made of the same stuff. Just get the ball to this kid in space and he'll be electric for you. And I, I have no doubt that he's got the right head coach and offensive coordinator to do that. Now, I hate to do this because he's a local kid. It feels like, you know, I'm putting more pressure on him than we need to. I'm not saying that Braylon Presley is going to go out and have some sort of 1,200-yard season. Um, mm. That's not what I'm calling for. But there are going to be some wow moments, and defenses are going to have to pay attention to this kid. And I do think um, he's he's going to be a guy that you just – you can't put the ball in his hands enough, you know, by, by the time it's all said and done uh, this season. He's He is – a supreme playmaker, a dynamic playmaker in a way that they're just there there isn't much of that on the roster right now. Yeah, agreed. Small dude, but man, probably the guy I'm most excited to see out on the field on the field this year, uh offensively at least. So cool. Okay, let's get let's get one more offense question here. Then we gotta switch to defense. We're already starting to run low on time here. Uh what uh, let's talk some offensive line. We haven't talked about it really much at all yet. Um, what have you seen out of them so far last year? We, everybody remembers they, that there was a big graphic on the first game of the season last season. That was like all five starters on the offensive line, zero combined starts between them. Right. It's wild. So vastly inexperienced group last season. Now all those guys are back. Uh, we've got all of them have had a year to gel and mesh. Um, what have you seen from them? Do you expect them to take that big jump? They were looking a little bit better by the end of the year last year, but we needed to go a step further this season. Yeah. Uh, I ask people to guide me when it comes to offensive line opinion. Oh, I, I don't want, I don't want to <laughs> lie to the people. I'm not going to tell you that I know exactly what I'm looking at when it comes to offensive line play. Here's what I see. Uh, they're big, right? I mean, and I granted everybody at that position anymore is big, uh, yeah. but they seem bigger than is absolutely necessary. Let's put it there. Bigger than some other team. <laughs> probably They'll be competing with. Let's put it that way. I think they've got good size. I know that they have, uh, if if they don't have a ton of ta- uh, experience, you know, in game action, they're at least, you know, redshirt seniors, right? Every, everybody is either veteran uh, just with regard to classification or veteran in that, you know, they've been on the field and, and played quite a bit. I, I think Kevin Wilson is as good as there is at understanding uh, how to play to his offensive line strengths, how to get good play out of your offensive line uh, kind of like the defensive backfield. For me, it's a position where I think TU is just potentially really good, and the the floor is they're they're fine. They're you know what I mean. Like they are not going to be a disappointment. I don't. It, it's a new system, so they're learning as as well. Uh, you know, along with everybody else. Uh, but they're making progress, is what I've been told. Very big, deep, making progress. I yeah, that, that's what I've heard from from people that I respect and who have a better eye for offensive line play than me. And so I think, and that's a great place to start, right? I mean, we've focused a lot of time on receiver and maybe there are some question marks, but at the end of the day, a team coached by Kevin Wilson with a quarterback as potentially dynamic as Braylon Braxton, who's got the experience that he did last year 
uh, and then an offensive line that I think is very capable, like that's a really good place to start. So I, I, I think they're starting from a good place offensively. I expect that offensive line to play some really good football. Um, I'm not qualified to say much, much more than that uh, to call my shot that they're going to be like one of the great offensive lines we've seen it to you in who knows how I did. I wouldn't yeah. say that, but I, I, I think they're going to play good ball. Yeah, man, I'm with you. Uh, with you in multiple ways. Uh, I think you're probably on the money with your opinion on where they're going to be at. Also with you on, I have no idea how to judge an offensive line. So kind of looking forward to seeing him out there. I do think, and you called him out earlier uh, at the top of the show, Ryan Stanchek, the offensive line coach, he seems to be getting all kinds of praise from across people. Anybody who has ever coached with that guy uh, gave him a ton of props when he got the job and uh, and, and after. So I'm, I'm excited to see him. Uh, I think he'll do a good, and you mentioned Kevin Wilson. He's got the history with the offensive line, of course. So I think they're in good hands and they already have a, a good chunk of experience now. So I think it's only going up. All right, let's uh, let's shift to some defense here. Um, what do we want to start with? Let's let's start with our two guys, our, our crossover content here with Anthony Goodlow and Justin Wright going to Oklahoma State. Um, last season, they were arguably our two best defensive players. Uh, Goodlow on the defensive line, Wright at linebacker. Um, now they're both uh, Cowboys. A couple questions on those two. How are they looking at OSU so far? Top of your head, if you've seen them or anything, do you think they'll be starters there? And two, um, replacing those guys at linebacker and on the line, who do you think are the most likely two guys to step into those roles? Yeah, I think I think both are going to play a lot. I, it's starter, I don't know. I, Oklahoma State um, is pretty deep. They'll put out their two deep next week. They're, they're both going to play a lot. I put some video on Twitter of their of both of them after, you know during their first OSU practice. And had somebody jump in my mentions and say, I mean, those guys look like they're 34 years old. Yeah, um, I know, man. You know, that's and that, crazy. that's the thing. I, it, like, you can't overstate. Like, that's something Philip Montgomery did really well. They they brought some guys in uh, who you would want coming off the bus first. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just some guys who who looked pretty intimidating. Those certainly good low, especially as as tall as he was. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was kind of a trade there. They send those two guys to Stillwater. You get Ben Kapensky back. He's going to play without question. Uh, obviously, Owen Ostrowski. I love that he finished, you know, the Houston game with two sacks. Yeah, so cool. He's going to have a really great year. I mean, just not wait for him. Too smart, strong, explosive, uh, not to make a, a real impact. I mean, just just stay healthy. I mean, right as long as he's healthy, he's going to be a productive player for TU, and that's such an incredible story, the legacy, and he's such a nice kid. Um, he uh, Austin Chadwick, former TU guy, runs the Vibe High School Football Magazine oh, yeah. here. And I think Austin maybe was like interning for him or something this summer. And so I, I reached out to Austin and said, hey, I want one of those magazines on day one, if you don't mind. And Owen drove it up here to Channel 2, oh. came down to Brookside. I mean, he's just it, like, he's awesome. Nice. I, I love talking to him even more than I love talking to his dad. How about that? <laughs> How um, about it? So it, like, I, I think he's going to be great. I, I mentioned King and I earlier and Von Troy Malone. They both look really, really good. It, it's hard for me to say without seeing more rap, reps exactly who is going to see how much action or in what packages, that sort of thing. But those four guys at, at those positions coming off the edge, to me, all look pretty good. So that that's that's what you're looking for in terms of replacing Anthony Goodlow. I, I don't know that you can replace him necessarily, but I think they'll get yep. pretty better. Here's the thing about the D-line. There are just much better numbers than I realized. You know, when I think in the spring before everybody had arrived, that yeah. was a big question for me. Maybe a couple guys were dinged up with injury as well. I just remember watching the spring thinking, I'm not sure that's as many D linemen, you know, as you want, uh, looking ready and, you know, capable of, yeah. of of being productive in the American Conference. It, 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 that's not a question for any for me anymore. I, I think they're okay. 
Uh, and then at linebacker, obviously, it's you know I, they like all four of those guys: Julian Simon, yep. uh, who comes over from USC, right, and Mitchell Culkin, the Jinx kid, yep. who's played some, and then uh, Colton Smith and Dorian Hopkins. I, I I like all of those guys. I don't know exactly how it's going to shake out. It could be you know depending upon the offense, different guys play uh, different amounts. Um, I really liked Colton Smith and a little bit of uh, practice I saw. Um, blitzing and coming off the edge. Not every linebacker is good at blitzing. He struck me as a guy who who would be. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Um, I still don't have a great feel for what Polizzi uh, is going to do defensively that was different from what they were doing in the spring. My hunch is, if we're just talking broad strokes, what does this defense want to get accomplished? I think it's very similar to what Joseph Gillespie wanted to get accomplished. Keep it in front of you. Yep. Don't make mistakes. Uh, pick your spots when it comes to pressure, uh, but mostly just don't be a, you know, a, is it a, what's the cheese? Swiss cheese? <laughs> don't have just be assignment sound. Don't have holes everywhere and give up big plays. I, I Generally, I think that th- that's what they want. Obviously, you know, we'll see uh, how much, how much of an attacking defense they are, but I think more than, more than anything, I think that's why this has been, why the defense seems to be ahead of the offense, why it feels like it's been a pretty good transition. I think they're probably trying to accomplish many of the same things defensively as they've been trying to for the last several years, going back to when, you know, Gillespie was promoted. And frankly, when when Bill Young sort of changed things with Gillespie's help, uh, going back to probably post-2017. I I don't know that the defense will look a whole lot different uh, than it has. And it, they played good defense for several years in a row now, for the most part. Yeah, totally agree. And this is I this is how we know you're a pro. Uh well, there's many reasons why, but like we definitely know because you answered like three other qu- three of my other questions as part of that answer. It's like, man, you just know exactly what we're gonna I've got that Sepulpa high school practice to get to. <laughs> yeah. so I'm checking them just off. Knocking them off. Yeah, man. No, it's true, dude. I I'm I'm excited to see the scheme. You mentioned it a little bit from Polizzi. Uh it sounds like, and like we'll see, who knows, right? But it sounds like he wants to go more four two five compared to Gillespie and Olsen's three three five. And you know, the dumbers are different. sounds different, but like, it's still five D back DBs, you know? So like the, the general concept seems like it's going to be similar. So if you've got enough defensive linemen to make it work, you're fine. Uh, They've got more defensive linemen who can make it work than I realized. And so it, it, it makes all the sense in the world to me, having watched them just a little bit. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good deployment of the talent you have on hand, because I don't think that they are, uh, as deep at linebacker as they'd probably like to be. I, I think they really like those yeah. first four. I'm not sure after that. So it works better, at least this season, for them to go with four down and two linebackers than it would be three and three, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. I think linebackers still a big question, even though we've we've listed off these guys who I think will make a big impact. After them, it gets a little hairy. So we'll see how that goes. Something we haven't talked about much are like the safety room corners. We've I think we've probably talked enough about the corners. There's some questions there. There's some names I think will break out. Kwan Parker being maybe the biggest among them to have a breakout season on the corner side. But the safeties are old, man. They're old and experienced. They've all been here for a bunch of years now. It's Kendaren Ray who's been here for like I don't know. It's got to be his sixth or seventh year. Um, and he's he's a rock star, always super solid. L.J. Wallace probably going to be taking up the other safety spot. And then assuming I guess we're still going to have the nickel spot because the the four two five will. Probably either, and maybe it'll be J, uh, maybe maybe LJ Wallace, but Jace Oliver is the other big name uh, in that safety room. So like those guys, I've seen them all play. They all look good. Usually yeah. there's some mental hiccups every now and then with a couple of those guys, but like generally pretty good. So I'm pretty excited about the safety room um, and that nickel spot. 
So and such great it, length on all of those yeah. guys. And then that goes oh, yeah. for Canyon Williams too. Oh yeah. Uh, who showed up in, in the video last week and I like looks good running around out there. I can't say that I've necessarily heard uh, a lot about him, but it, here's what I hear from everybody. I've had it, any former player who gets a chance to watch something, you know, I hit them up and Hey, what can you tell me? They almost never give anything. But the one thing that I've heard at least a few times is you know, secondary looks good. Uh, and different guys identify different players, but um, I, I think they're going to be fine in the second and, and corner as well, where, you know, maybe there are some questions with regard to um, exactly who's going to start and how much people are going to play, but just having watched those guys, they, I, I I think they're fine there. I, I think they're fine. And they're definitely fine at safety. Uh, Ray is the guy that we've interacted with the most. And I got to got a chance to chat with him in Arlington at the American Conference Media Day. Oh, nice. He's just so mature. Uh, he's got such great perspective on his TU career. We obviously talked to him about, hey, you put your name in the portal, you brought it out. How come? And the answer he had there, I thought was, you know, terrific. He's just He's the kind of guy you root for. TU's had so many of those guys through the years, uh, guys that are just easygoing, um, well-spoken. Um, it's, you know, I don't want to compare and contrast to the OU and OSU guys we talked to, but there is something different, right, about yeah. TU. And part of it is the pressure. It's not quite the same. Um, yeah. And it, But anyway, Kendarin's up there is like one of my one of my all-time favorites, like a guy that I just cannot possibly have enough success. Or I... I, I my desire for him to have great success is as high as it could possibly be. Hope that guy kills it in this, his final season at TU and hope, you know, he makes an NFL roster sometime. Cause um, certainly the size and length and athleticism are there. Um, man, you gotta be so good at that position, right? At safety to make it at the next level. But um, I do expect him to have, have a monster season. Yeah, agree with you and agree on he that guy is just so easy to like as a fan. Everybody wants him to do well. I remember uh just so many comments. Phil Montgomery once made the comment that he might be the best safety to ever come through to you. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but he's definitely certainly in like in the minds of Tulsa fans, he's one of the favorites, no doubt. Um so yeah, we'll see. And another guy that really jumps off the page on that safety round, I mentioned him already, LJ Wallace. Um, his numbers have never been huge. He's never been like the guy back there. But he's one that you just see him on. He's bigger than everybody. Like he's he's a massive dude. He just looks like he's going to be really good. And last year, I I really wanted him to take that next step. And he was pretty good last year, but he wasn't amazing. So I'm I'm hoping this season he can take that another jump because man, he looks like a guy that could just take over the game. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if both of those guys get moved around more than what we've seen in in the last few years. I, I again. I'm not telling you that I know that for sure. When we asked Polizzi at the media day, he told it, by the way, he did that. You can't see on the podcast, but yeah. doing that Italian thing with his hand when he told us how to pronounce his name. Um, he, when asked about, hey, what is your defense all about? He didn't answer the question at all, right? And not trying to be difficult or anything, but yeah, he really got into kind of how you coach the kids and treat the kids and that sort of thing. That's a completely fine answer. Point is, we don't know exactly how he might be different but my hunch is I bet they'll be a little more creative with the safeties than what we've seen. You know, TU's kept it pretty vanilla uh, back there. I, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if those guys inch up close to the line of scrimmage more often, get into a ta- an attacking position just a little bit more often. Could be wrong about that. But all that to say, I think both Ray and Wallace are really qualified for that job. Uh, totally. Both just got all the size you want at that position. 
Yep. Agreed. All right. We are running pretty low. We got maximum 10 minutes left here. Uh, so let's, we were going to talk some schedule. Maybe we can bounce back to that if we have time, but let's get to some listener questions here and knock those out. Uh, if we have time after that, we can, we can follow up. Um, so we got a couple on the website, anonymous questions. Uh, here is the first one, which we kind of already talked about. So maybe we can skip this over, but if you want to rehash it a bit, go for it. The first one is how does Caden like the new staff and what are his expectations for the year? Uh, maybe we could tie this in a little bit with the schedule talk. So we talked yeah. a bit about the new stuff already. I know you, you're a huge fan, um, but what are your expectations for this year, given the schedule that we have and the Kevin Wilson tenure at TU in general? I think the offense uh, should be a handful for people. Uh, as we've already mentioned, there are some question marks, but I think I just, I can't imagine that a Kevin Wilson led team uh with Braylon Braxton at quarterback and an offensive line that's really veteran. I, I just can't imagine that they don't find a way to move the ball, uh, exploit the weaknesses of their opponent week to week. Uh, I I think the offense is going to have a nice year. Lack of really big time playmakers, keeping it from going to say a next level. But I, I think the offense is going to be good and relatively consistent week to week. And I think the defense should be good too. The schedule is such, you know, like if you were to look at, and I do look at FEI, F plus, FPI, I look at that stuff closely. They would have you believe that T's got four games that are just not winnable at all. Those would be Washington and Oklahoma. And I, you know, I agree, probably. I hate to say that. I don't know who's going <laughs> to listen to this podcast. My apologies if that's the kind of thing that triggers you. I don't want to trigger anybody, but yeah, I would put those two in that category. Those but are they, certainly the two toughest games. No but they would also have you believe that SMU and Tulane are not winnable. Those are road games against, you know, maybe the cream of the crop in this league. And I just don't believe that. You know, I yeah. mean, I just, I've been here too long. I've seen it was not that long ago that I would have believed the exact opposite, that Tulane shouldn't even be on the field with Tulsa. I remember <laughs> those days. And right. SMU, I mean, they, they've played, you know, every year since 2000, and the series is – completely even and usually the underdog wins and I know yeah. TU had just a golden opportunity last year and squandered it on their own home field but yep. I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if TU stole one of those games and now we're talking about getting into a pretty different um, kind of season but even if they were to lose all four and those are four tough games against either top 25 or potentially top 25 teams uh, you're going to have to win close ones without question. It's going to have to be a buttoned up unit. It's going to have to be more disciplined than what we've seen. You're going to have to be really good on those three Thursday night games where maybe you got to bring your own energy because who knows yep. uh, what the home crowd is going to be like in, in those situations. I Let's say I think they go to a bowl. You know, I would love to say seven and five. Six and six might be even a little bit. I, I certainly think six and six is more likely than eight and four. But I, I think I think Kevin Wilson rounds his team into form. It's a good season. I don't see it as, you know, his first year at Indiana, he inherited a program in shambles, and it took a little time. By, by the end, they were scoring on everybody yeah. in the Big Ten. Uh, but that first year was rough. I, I think this first year is, is better than that. I, I think they end up in a bowl game. I think every TU fan should feel really good about the hire in the future if they do end up in a bowl game because – uh, you know, with those four games at the top, yeah, you know, the schedule's tough, you know, and that's not even FAU on the road. That's certainly yeah. one where ESPN's FPI doesn't give them much of a shot. I give them more of a shot in that kind of ball game. Um, same thing with like at East Carolina. I know, it, you know, there are people who are high on East Carolina, but uh, to me, those other eight games, you could absolutely win any of them and maybe even all of them. 
Yeah. I feel the same way when I, when I did my little schedule breakdown, um, my first, my first impression was six and six going through each game, which is what you said is more likely. So that's probably the more accurate answer in my own. I was able to talk myself into eight and four, uh, of course, because it's, it's right now Good. a week away from the season. Yes. Um, but like you look at the home schedule, take. only eight and four. <laughs> yeah. Eight and four. I feel like is, is maybe the cap. Who knows? You never know. You never know. <laughs> but like you look at that home schedule, uh, for TU this year. And aside from OU, man, the home schedules. This is easy. Like you get easy in quotes, like relatively. Right. You get you get Arkansas Pine Bluff, FCS team. You get three. If you're looking at SP Plus rankings, you get three one hundred number one hundred or worse teams in Temple Rice and Charlotte, and then you get number eighty nine North Texas. Those are all home games. You should gotta win. be good at home. Yeah, got to win all the like you yeah. reasonably can win all those games aside from OU. Um, you do that. You pick off an SMU on the road or something. You know that's a tough one, but like. Tulsa always plays SMU close. That's always a close game. And they just lost their headlining quarterback in Tanner Mordecai last year. I know Preston Stone's supposed to be good. Who knows? But I think there's a real shot that we uh, that we hit that seven win mark. Um, okay. Same. Uh, one more from the website. Um, and man, this is, we could talk about this one for a long time. So let's see, uh, we'll <laughs> see if we can cut this question short a little bit. Uh, what does Caden see as the ceiling for a program like Tulsa? Can we get to the level of somebody like you know, what people think of Boise state or Tulane now, or, you know, teams like that. Can we, can Tulsa reasonably get there uh, oh. in, let's say uh, I'm adding on my own color here within 10 years, you know, five, I don't know, some, some time frame that's in the reasonably short term. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can keep that answer short. Absolutely. I, I don't know um, what I've ever said to give people the impression that like I th- I think T I I think probably when we were talking about the coaching search um I had been given information that made me think that T was really hamstrung with regard to what it was going to spend and in that world there is a harder there's a lower ceiling um I they proved to me with the hire of Kevin Wilson this new landscape. I mean, the thing I've been saying, I guess I haven't said it to you guys, the thing I've been saying for months, you know, sadly, it looks like maybe that 12 team playoff, who knows what it's going to look like if we go to two super conferences. I know. But as long as there's a 12 team playoff and the AAC has a seat at the table, TU's in play. Totally. TU might have year in, year out, almost as good a shot as m- of making the playoff as OU. They try and get their footing in the SEC. Like, I'm, I'm not even kidding. Like, I know. TU can win this league. TU has jumped up and won 10 games more often in the last two decades than SMU and Rice have in, you know, well, certainly Rice in its entire 110-year history (laughs) and SMU in the last, you know, going back to the Pony Express. I mean, Boise State, sure. I mean, I was was, uh, on the sideline in 09 when Chapman Stadium was sold out and Boise came in as a top five or 10 team. TU wasn't even very good that year, ended up winning five and could have won that ball game. I, I think lost by a touchdown. Nice. Um, right coach, right handful of things at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. Now there are things they got to do. They do need to build an indoor. They need to keep trying, you know, funding it at the level to stay uh, consistent. And frankly, here's the biggest detriment to what we're talking about now. It's whatever the next domino is in realignment. If they're no longer aligned with Tulane and SMU, like uh, that is the doomsday scenario. If they get relegated to something below well, now I'm now I'm pretty worried about how they keep up. But as it stands right now, in the American with this set of teams and with a 12-team college football playoff, 
TU absolutely can put together um, the kind of sustained success that we've seen with some other people. And here's the, look, here's the thing. Um, SMU is begging everybody in the power five (laughs) to join. Like we'll do it for free. Um, Who's had more success? Who's been the more successful program over the last 25 years, TU or SMU? Like, yeah, I mean, no question. That's really not very close. Yeah. Um, TCU had a plan. TU would need something along, like, right? You got to have a plan. You got to be committed to it. I think they finally have the kind of leadership where that becomes a possibility. Like, is it easy? Is it going to happen tomorrow? Not necessarily. But I'll say this. If we turn, if, if we look back in five years and Kevin Wilson has built towards what we've been talking about here, I won't be a bit surprised. I'm not saying it's likely. I'm just saying it absolutely could happen. Yeah, I could, I could see it too. And you mentioned the Tulane SMU doomsday scenario. I literally had a nightmare about that last week, like an actual, actual nightmare. So I need this to be resolved as soon as possible. It's taking up way too much of my mental capacity at this point. Uh, okay. We've got like 15 seconds left. Last one. Let's get a Twitter question in here. Just so we don't leave off Twitter entirely. Uh, at now, I, want to, I want to answer the yeah. October 30. So come back to that. I'll give you a couple <laughs> more. I'll get to okay. late. Don't worry. Okay. Sounds good. Um, so one Twitter question at Thunderfan96 says, am I rational for thinking there is a real chance this team could end up competing for an AAC, AAC title? Braxton showed he can really carry a team at the end of last season. I've talked about this a little bit already, but what are your, what are your thoughts on actually getting to that title game? Look, if you're a fan, you should be irrational. Am I irrational <laughs> for thinking Notre Dame's going to go 15 to no? Probably so. Uh, I don't think that's likely. I don't think that's going to happen, but he hit on it there. If it does happen, it will be because Braylon Braxton is that dude. Um, you know, we'll see. I, he's he's not a guy who, when you watch him the first time, you think, oh, that's that's an NFL quarterback. He doesn't have that kind of throwing motion. But then he's uncanny with his accuracy on a lot of big-time throws, especially down the field. Uh, and he, here's the biggest thing. I should have mentioned this earlier. I, I hate that it's now at the end of the podcast. I've been told by a lot of people, that when he was inserted into the lineup last year, not just as a starter late when Davis was really hurt, but even like at Ole Miss, mm-hmm. the locker room was fully behind him. And I found that incredibly impressive for a guy who was on campus for, that was just his redshirt freshman season, right? Yep. Uh, I think that he's got some of those intangible things. I mentioned the Swamp Kings documentary. He's got some Tebow-ish stuff going on where the locker room will follow him. And his athletic ability... Uh, to a defense can do everything right. And Braylon Braxton can still go pick up that first down to extended drive. Like he can do, he is capable of some special things. I'm not, I haven't seen enough to call my shot on that and say, he's going to be this kind of Tulsa quarterback, but I, I see the potential. I see the possibility. And so if they win the AAC this year, it'll be because he is just phenomenal. And the combination of Kevin Wilson and Braylon Braxton is killer. Uh, I think it probably falls, you know, a little short of that, but I think they have a nice season and maybe one day in the very near future, he gets to that. But w- if that happened this year, no, I, that wouldn't, that wouldn't shock me. Nice. Yeah. That is awesome. Just real brief aside on that. I, I know you made the comment on, on the locker room really being behind him. And I think that's a great call out. The, it did feel like it was a little bit split last year, even though Davis had the numbers that he had, he was really lighting it up at the beginning of that season. Um, but there was, there were just some notes every now and then that were, maybe that's always the case with the backup quarterback. He's got a lot of potential, but like 
who knows, man? The last time I remember really everybody being behind a quarterback for Tulsa was freaking Dane Evans way back in 2016. That was yeah. everybody was behind that guy. The whole team knew he was the guy. Every, uh, the fans knew like, and it feels like we're going into that this year with Braxton. So I'm, I'm hoping that happens. You know, you mentioned 2016, all F plus FEI, all these metrics. That was the last time to you played really good offensive football. You know, yeah, uh, and there was that run when I first got here in 07, 08, 10, where they were doing it all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's what they need if they're going to have the kind of season that TU fans are hoping for. And I think Kevin Wilson and Braylon Braxton give you the chance. I'm not necessarily calling my shot on that, but like they have not played elite offensive football in a long time. Yeah, yeah They've had some elite players over the last few years, but they did not put it all together. Uh, since Dane Evans, just like you mentioned. So I, the locker room is behind this guy. I think he's got the ability. Hopefully he's got the receivers. <laughs> yeah, I know. Kevin scared me yeah. a little bit on that. Yeah. Uh, hopefully he's got the receivers and the help to do it. All right, you opted into it. So we've got the one more question yes. for you. The last one from the website. And that was, where were, where were you on October 30th, 2010? And what do you remember? You can go to YouTube and find out where I was. <laughs> I was reporting... On you know uh, Notre Dame, I live and die with Notre Dame football. It's really the only pro, or they're not even pro sports, but they are to me. It's the only <laughs> sports team uh, that holds that sort of place in my life anymore. I grew up cheering for everything, but now it's only Notre Dame football. I watch every practice report. It's sicko behavior. <laughs> I have now watched them lose to every team in this state. Yeah. Right. And it started with TU. I watched them lose to OU in 2013. I watched them lose to OSU in the Fiesta Bowl just a couple of years ago. And it all started with it. Here's the thing. Somebody put those highlights on Twitter just this week, right? Did you guys see that on your feed? Yeah, I did. Somebody oh, reposted crazy. the highlights. I had forgotten how completely absurd that game was. TU <laughs> scored one offensive touchdown the entire day. It was on the opening drive. But they finished with 28 points because <laughs> – Here's the thing, and I remembered Sean Jackson intercepted that pass and returned it, and I had a great highlight. He ran right to my camera. It was a beautiful thing. Nice. Uh, But that was in the final minute as Notre Dame was driving for a field goal that could have put them up by, I think, three scores. And then (laughs) Barrett's doing what he did. It is crazy that TU won that game, but I have so many great memories because, um, you know, GJ was so fun to deal with. The DeShane family, Brian DeShane, his father, I don't remember getting some great video of them i you know gj leading the band in notre dame stadium yeah. oh my gosh like, it was uh i I've, i said this with oklahoma state in the fiesta bowl a couple years ago too i do live and die with notre dame football um but it's still a pleasure to be a part of that sort of thing yeah i mean you knew how big the moment was for todd graham and for tu football so uh i was there for one of the great moments in tulsa football history and one of the worst moments of my brother's life <laughs> from Albuquerque I got him a credential I guess he was on the field with me and when uh the interception was made in the end zone at the very end I look after I've shot you know everything I need to shoot I look over and he's just got his head in his hand <laughs> yeah. and he hasn't moved for who knows how long uh so I was there baby I was there it was it was really one of the highlights um of my career to be honest to be able to go there in this capacity working and then have TU uh shock the world if you will yeah. um it, it was pretty Cool. It was cool. And look, TU can get there again. I don't know that it's going to happen with Kevin Wilson. I don't know how soon it'll happen, but there's no doubt in my mind the program is located close enough to, you know, in the state of Oklahoma where they're putting out more and more high school talent every year, close enough to Texas, close enough to Louisiana and other places you can go. 
Um, I, I by the way, I we should have mentioned this with regard to what I love about the coaching staff. Seven straight recruits they've gotten commitments from who oh, had man. five offers. They're mm, doing things I on know. the trail I did not think uh, were possible this soon. And uh, I think they're just doing a whale of a job um, over there at the moment. It's um, there are more challenges at 11th and Harvard than there are lots of other places. That's just that's just a fact. Uh, Kevin Wilson will complain about it here or there. Right. He sort of doubted him in spring football, saying that, you know, the assistant coaches aren't on contract, which most of us were yeah. not even aware of. I'm, right. Uh, but for the most part, he's putting his head down and working on the thing. And so I, I think the TU fans should be even if they weren't in love with the hire initially, uh, they should love everything they've seen so far. But all that really matters is what starts happening August the 31st. Right. That's the truth. And yeah, I think I saw, I know it's early in the recruiting cycle still, but for next year's like 2024 recruiting, we're sitting at number four in the conference right now, which is, man, we have, we have never, we were never up there uh, ever at any point in the recruiting cycle under Philip Montgomery. So um, yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Good, good place to end on. Uh, Really awesome. Caden, you're the best man. Really appreciate you coming on, spending over the time as always with us that, that you allotted, but really appreciate it. And we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Ryan, Matt, my pleasure. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to get that smoking jacket. Looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. I'll, I'll ship it to you when that's ready. All right. Thanks again to Caden McFarland for joining the show and for helping us preview the 2023 Tulsa football season. Lots of good stuff in there. Covered a ton of players, uh, some defensive schemes we might see. Kevin Wilson, the rest of the coaching staff. The potential for the year, the potential for TU in the future, you know, what what kind of heights we can get to, a ton more, right? Packed interview, really awesome. Always enjoy talking to him. Got to pretty much everything I was hoping to get to, even though we did have a little bit of time constraint there at the end where we were kind of cramming stuff in at the last minute. Uh, but we did skip over um, a schedule breakdown uh, mostly. So we're going to tackle that next week when we also do our, our uh, preview on Arkansas Pine Bluff. I think we'll also try to throw in our preseason awards uh, or who we think might get those pre- like postseason awards. Preseason, so, preseason watch list. Preseason watch. That is the correct term. Yeah. Thank you. So we'll do like, you know, who we think is going to be the offensive player of the year, defense player of the year. We do this every year. There's a bunch of kind of crazy awards we throw in there too. Always fun. So next week will be good. We'll have the, we'll have the schedule breakdown. We'll have the kind of the, the preseason watch list going on and then we'll preview uh, FCS Arkansas Pine Bluff as we get ready to actually watch some Tulsa football. So that'll be fun. Really psyched for that. Um, Matt, anything else you want to chat about here before we call it a show? Okay. Two thoughts. So first, and this is just kind of like, as we were kind of doing the interview, um, going through on the defensive, like on the linebacker side, we kind of talked two names. Um, and I'm talking about Julian Simon and Colton Smith specifically, um, the whole time where I'm, we were just kind of talking about that. I was like, ah, Simon and Smith. Those are just like two, not boring names, but like law firm names, if I've <laughs> ever heard them. And so I'm like, the whole time we were kind of talking about it. I was like, all right, I really want to make a sign that just says like Simon and Smith, linebackers at law or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that would just be a really fun poster to bring to a game. So keep an eye out for this at some point in the season when I get around to it. Because okay. I think I think it would be funny. Uh, the I other love thing, it a lot. That is a great idea, and you should definitely do that. The other thing is, uh, and I don't know how much truth there is into this, but I feel like it kind of kicked up around twelve or one o'clock today on the X Sphere, um, formerly Twitter, the artist formerly 
formerly known as Twitter, um, that there was talks of Calford plus SMU. And then I saw something later where it was like, they have the votes. I don't know if that part's accurate, but we just kind of talked about that a little bit. And, you know, one of the big keys is Tulsa remaining with its peers and conference realignment is like something that's very important for us and to kind of um, make sure that we're having that ability for sustained success. Did you see anything about that? What are your initial thoughts? Do you think that SMU is kind of, sounds like they're paying to leave, which I just, I don't get why they do that when there's, when the, the ACC is probably not long. I know. Yeah. I didn't see, I, I saw some, some super like baseline stuff today about the, the, that kind of the dirt kicked up on that rumor again, uh, or not rumor. It's, it's pretty much fact that they're, they're having those conversations now. Um, I did the only thing, the only difference I saw this time around was last time I saw SMU talking about this, they were willing to forego five years of media revenue from the ACC. And today I saw it moved up to seven years. So now they're, they're throwing even more money at the problem trying to get there. Honestly, at this point, I wouldn't like, I'd be surprised if it didn't happen. There's, it's just been going on for so long. It feels like it's just feels like it's gonna, gonna be a thing, um, which sucks, you know, like we've talked about it. SMU's a fun team to play. They're a rival of ours. They're a peer of ours. Losing them is a, is a bummer. However, it is not the worst case scenario. This is kind of the middle case scenario. The worst case scenario is Stanford and Cal and Oregon State and Washington State all stick together. And then they pull the teams from the American and the Mountain West, you know, like four from each or something. And Tulsa is not one of those teams. And Tulane and SMU are. That's the worst case scenario, right? We lose all the fun teams to play or like all of our favorite teams to play in the American and Tulsa is left stranded in what is effectively exactly conference USA that we got out of like 12 years ago or whatever. Um, So that it seems like that's probably not going to happen. Uh, It definitely is not going to happen if, if Stanford and Cal go to the ACC. So I'm mostly okay. You know, losing SMU is a huge bummer, but like, this keeps happening. We we just lost Houston, which was a huge bummer. We lost UCF, which was a b- pretty big bummer, lesser extent than Houston. So you know the fact that I just keep getting oh, punched man. in the face. Cincinnati, kind of not even yeah. not even acknowledged. <laughs> not even not even acknowledging Cincinnati. UConn. I don't really care. You know, they're what like about uh, UConn? Cincinnati. Yeah, UConn. Yeah, that, that, they were fun because they were a name. Um, but yeah, you know, losing those guys, it's just, I've, I've gotten punched in the face so many times in a row. I'm just like already ready for the next one, even though SMU would be the biggest punch in my face. Cause I do really enjoy watching those games across all sports. Um, but if it happens, if we, as long as we still got Tulane, I'm going to hold on to Tulane, like nothing else, man. As long as we still got one of them, uh, that's fine with me. And I think there's still a chance that we get, we get both, but who knows? I think it sounds like maybe it'll happen by the end of this week, either a yes or a no. Um, if it's a no, then we got to start worrying about the, if it's a no for all of them, then we got to start worrying about the worst case scenario again. Yeah. My thoughts. So if this goes through, I feel like ESPN, you know, as big of a player they are in this, obviously is going to encourage the remaining pack two. Um, so like Washington state, and Oregon state to join the AAC because ESPN would make money off of the AAC. Yep. Obviously versus the Mountain West. And so if that ends up being the case and we trade SMU for those two schools, that's, I mean, I think it's a net positive for Tulsa in the long run. It's a bummer to lose like the rival that, you know, like we just, as you just kind of mentioned, but 
Yep. I think that would still be um, like way better this round than what happened last time during conference realignment. Totally. So last thing I'll kind of say about conference realignment is like, there's nothing like conference realignment to really make you hate every other fan base on Twitter. Like <laughs> I feel like everybody was just talking so much crap about each other. Like you have the new teams coming in talking about how, Oh, they can't wait to get out of this trash conference. Uh-huh. And it was just like, I get it. Like, you know, rivalries, you know, and all that, but it just felt so, I was just like, this sucks. Like, where's the, where's the camaraderie between like-minded schools and programs? It was just. That's all I want, man. That's all I want. The AAC was like the coolest league when we like 2013, 2014, we joined in 2014. That was the best league Tulsa's ever been in arguably. And the most fun, like for, for us to have just come to TU and have that happen, like our sophomore year, that was so awesome. And there were so many big name schools in there. There still are some, obviously we lost a chunk of them and that league was great. And half the, and the, the bummer about it, even then was like half the big East schools wanted to leave immediately, which was always a downer. Uh, and then eventually it happened and they did. And then, you know, Houston and UCF and Cincinnati all, and also SMU and Memphis all uh, feels like all of those schools always are just like, man, can't wait to get out of this league. It's like, come on SMU. Like they talk so much trash on, how good they think they are and it's like it just doesn't pan out in the results across any sport for a long time it's like come on now what are we doing yeah i think smu i mean nil will put smu on probably a similar tier because they can get their money from their massively wealthy alumni base and not rely but how can on you make the argument that you're going to be so good in the acc when they haven't won the american with the same donor it's like it's not like the donors have maybe they'll give more in the acc i'm sure they will and more donors will come out but they've still had the big money donors while they've been in the american and it hasn't resulted in championships for them so i i don't get the argument like i get that they have the brand and they have like the flash like they're a very flashy program but I think that's all there is. That's all there has been for them for a long time. Yeah. I just, so SMU's the height of their success was when they were paying players. And so that's where I'm just like, you know, history is going to repeat itself now that you can kind of pay players in the NIL sense. I mean, that I'm sure that's what they're telling apart. people, but, but like, they right. Could be doing that's, that now. that's, I feel like the only argument for like why you bring, or the only yeah, if you think about like what SMU could do if they can actually get their money to do what they say it's going to do, because it's not yeah like your the history of success is not there. Like they're not being brought in on their wealth of good football that they've been playing since you know the last twenty thirty years. Or yeah, yeah, man, they're so, all barking no bite, and maybe maybe that'll change if they get picked up by a power five league or whatever. I'd be surprised. But, you know, you never know. I can, you can see the path to maybe that happening, uh, but it just hasn't happened yet. So I'm I just, I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, good stuff. Um, let's call it an episode there. Uh, we will chat about football again next week with the schedule and our preseason watch list and Arkansas Pine Bluff, our real football game coming up. Maybe by then we'll probably have realignment stuff to talk about again next week because something will probably happen. Uh, so look forward to that. But until then, thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. If you're not already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening, go hit the follow button so you get updates whenever we drop new episodes. 
Uh, that'll happen every week from here on until like early April, probably. Um, and while you're there, drop a rating, drop a review. Those really do help. We look out for them. Uh, we will read out five-star reviews on the show. So if you want to have your review read, drop us one, and we will read it live on the podcast. Um, just FYI, if you don't know, we do all this stuff for totally for free. Uh, so if you want to support us, help us out financially, there's a few ways you can do that. Go to our website, thegoldenhurricast.com slash support. You'll find all those ways. Um, one of those ways is merchandise. We have that stuff. Now is the right time to pick up some Hurricast merch. Football season is starting. We've got shirts. We've got hoodies. we got stickers. we got mugs. Uh, I think that's all. Maybe there's another thing on there. Check it out, goldenhurricast.com slash merch. You'll see all that. And finally, you can find us on Twitter slash X at goldenhurricast, all one word there. Or you can send us an email at thegoldenhurricast at gmail.com. Thanks again, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Stay golden. All right, guys.